This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is a time for choosing. In the first half, D. Todd Christofferson shares his address, Moral Agency. Then in the second half, Randall W. Booth speaks on Seasons of Choice. Two years ago in January, President Gordon B. Hinckley spoke to the leaders of the Church around the world, both men and women. Commenting on current conditions, he said, No one need tell you that we are living in a very difficult season in the history of the world. I do not know that things were worse in the times of Sodom and Gomorrah. At that season, Abraham bargained with the Lord to save those cities for the sake of the righteous. Notwithstanding his pleas, things were so bad that Jehovah decreed their destruction. They and their wicked inhabitants were annihilated. We see similar conditions today. They prevail all across the world. I think our Father must weep as He looks down upon His wayward sons and daughters. In the Church, continued President Hinckley, we are working very hard to stem the tide of this evil, but it is an uphill battle, and we sometimes wonder whether we are making any headway. But we are succeeding in a substantial way. We see so many of our youth who are faithful and true and who look to us for encouragement and direction. It was you President Hinckley thought of when he looked for signs that we might be succeeding as a Church in stemming the tide of evil. If, as he said, you look to us for encouragement and direction, I want to offer you some of each. I'd like to talk to you about moral agency and offer some counsel about how you use your agency. In years past, we generally used the term free agency. That's not incorrect. But more recently, we have taken note that free agency does not appear as an expression in the scriptures. The scriptures talk of our being free to choose and free to act for ourselves and of our obligation to do many things of our own free will. But the word agency appears either by itself or with the modifier moral, as in Doctrine and Covenants section 101, verse 78 that every man may act in doctrine and principle according to the moral agency which I have given unto him, that every man might be accountable for his own sins in the day of judgment. When we use the term moral agency, then, we are appropriately emphasizing the accountability that is an essential part of the divine gift of agency. We are moral beings and agents unto ourselves, free to choose but also responsible for our choices. What, then, are the elements of moral agency? To me, there are three. First, there must be alternatives to choose among. Lehi described it as opposites or opposition. He spoke of righteousness and its opposite wickedness, holiness versus misery, good versus bad. Without opposites, Lehi said, all things must needs be a compound in one. No life, neither death, nor corruption, nor incorruption, happiness, nor misery, neither sense, nor insensibility. He further explained that for these opposites or alternatives to exist, there must be law. Law provides us the options. It is by the operation of law that things happen. By using or obeying a law, one can bring about a particular result, and by disobedience, the opposite result. Without law, there could be no God, for He would be powerless to cause anything to happen. Neither He nor we would be able to predict or choose a particular outcome 
by a given action. Our existence and the creation around us are convincing evidence that God, the Creator, exists and that our mortal world consists of both things to act and things to be acted upon, in other words, choices. Second, for us to have agency, we must not only have alternatives, we must also know that they exist and what they are. If we're unaware of the choices available, the existence of those choices is meaningless to us. Lehi calls this being enticed by the one or the other. He recalls the situation of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden presented with a choice, even the forbidden fruit in opposition to the tree of life, the one being sweet and the other bitter. Adam and Eve's choice, of course, brought about the fall, which brought with it a knowledge of good and evil, opening to their understanding a multitude of new choices. Had they remained in Eden, they would have remained in a state of innocence, having no joy, for they knew no misery, doing no good, for they knew no sin. But with the fall, both they and we gained sufficient knowledge and understanding to be enticed by good and evil. We attain a state of accountability and can recognize the alternatives before us. The beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it pours knowledge into our souls and shows things in their true light. With that enhanced perspective, we can discern more clearly the choices before us and their consequences. We can therefore make more intelligent use of our agency. Too many fall into unanticipated traps and unhappiness because they either lack or ignore the gospel light. They are unaware of their options or confused about the outcomes of their choices. Ignorance, in other words, effectively limits their agency. After the existence of choices and a knowledge of choices, the third element of agency is the freedom to make choices. This freedom to act for ourselves in choosing among the alternatives that the law establishes is often referred to in the scriptures as agency itself. For this freedom we are indebted to God. It is His gift to us. The Lord said unto Enoch, Behold these thy brethren. They are the workmanship of mine own hands, and I gave unto them their knowledge in the day that I created them, and in the Garden of Eden gave I unto man his agency. King Benjamin reminds us that in addition to giving us the freedom to choose, God makes it possible for us to use the gift because He is preserving you from day to day by lending you breath that ye may live and move and do according to your own will, and even supporting you from one moment to another. Let's pause and note that freedom of choice is the freedom to obey or disobey existing laws, not the freedom to alter their consequences. Law, as mentioned earlier, exists as a foundational element of moral agency with fixed outcomes that do not vary according to our opinions or preferences. Elder Dallin H. Oaks observed in a devotional talk here that uh, we are responsible to use our agency in a world of choices. It will not do to pretend that our agency has been taken away when we are not free to exercise it without unwelcome consequences. We recognize the gift of agency as a central aspect of the plan of salvation proposed by the Father in the great premortal council and that there was war in heaven to defend and preserve it. Satan has not ceased his effort to destroy the agency of man. He promotes conduct and choices that limit a person's freedom to choose 
by replacing the influence of the Holy Spirit with his own domination. Yielding to his temptation leads to a narrower and narrower range of choices until none remain, and to addictions that leave one powerless to resist. While Satan cannot actually destroy law and truth, he accomplishes the same result in the lives of those who heed him by convincing them that whatever they think is right is right, and that there is no ultimate truth. Every man is his own God, and there is no sin. Of course, Satan's ongoing opposition is a useful, even necessary part of moral agency. The scripture states, It must needs be that the devil should tempt the children of men, or they could not be agents unto themselves. For if they never should have bitter, they could not know the sweet. Remember, though, that we retain the right and power of independent action. God does not intend that we yield to temptation. And as Jesus, we can gain all we need in the way of a mortal experience without yielding. We've reviewed the elements of moral agency and its divine origins, but we must always remember that agency would have no meaning without the vital contribution of Jesus Christ. It was necessary in God's plan for our future happiness and glory that we become morally free and responsible. For that to happen, we needed an experience apart from Him where our own choices would determine our destiny. The fall of Adam provided the spiritual death needed to separate us from God and place us in this mortal condition, and also the physical death needed to provide an end to the mortal experience. As Alma put it, And now ye see by this that our first parents were cut off, both temporally and spiritually, from the presence of the Lord, and thus we see that they became subjects to follow after their own will. Without more, however, these deaths would have defeated the plan after having made it possible. Death had to be permitted, but also had to be overcome, or we could not return to the presence of God. Jacob, the brother of Nephi, explained it this way, For as death hath passed upon all men to fulfill the merciful plan of the great Creator, there must needs be a power of resurrection. For behold, if the flesh should rise no more, our spirits must become subject to that angel who fell from before the presence of the eternal God and became the devil to rise no more. And our spirits must have become like unto him, and we become devils, angels to a devil to be shut out from the presence of our God and to remain with the father of lies in misery like unto himself. Oh, how great the goodness of our God, who prepareth a way for our escape from the grasp of this awful monster, yea, that monster, death and hell, which I call the death of the body and also the death of the spirit. Thus, if our separation from God and our physical death were permanent, moral agency would mean nothing. Yes, we'd be free to choose and make choices, but what would be the point? The end result would always be the same, no matter what our actions. Death, with no hope of resurrection, no hope of heaven. Good or bad, as we might choose to be, we would all end up, in Jacob's words, devils, angels to a devil. With resurrection, through Jesus Christ, the fall can achieve its essential purpose without becoming a permanent death sentence. The grave must deliver up its captive bodies. Hell must deliver up its captive spirits. 
and the paradise of God must deliver up the spirits of the righteous, so that the spirit and the body is restored to itself again, and all men become incorruptible and immortal. And they are living souls, having a perfect knowledge like unto us in the flesh, save it be that our knowledge shall be perfect. But there was one more thing that Christ needed to accomplish in order that moral agency could have a positive potential. Just as death would doom us and render our agency meaningless but for the redemption of Christ, even so without His grace, our bad choices or sins would leave us forever lost. There would be no way of fully recovering from our mistakes. And being unclean, we could never live again in the presence of the man of holiness. We cannot look to the law to save us when we have broken the law. We need a Savior, a mediator who can overcome the effects of our sins and errors so that they are not necessarily fatal. It is because of the Atonement of Christ that we can recover from bad choices and be justified under the law as if we had not sinned. Wherefore, redemption cometh in and through the Holy Messiah, for He is full of grace and truth. Behold, He offereth Himself a sacrifice for sin, to answer the ends of the law unto all those who have a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Professor C. Terry Warner states, Human agency was purchased with the price of Christ's suffering. This means that to those who blame God for allowing human suffering, Latter-day Saints can respond that suffering is less important than the gift of agency upon which everything else depends, and that none of us has paid a greater price for this gift than Christ. The Savior's use of moral agency during His ministry and lifetime is an instructive example for us. At one point in His teaching, He revealed the principle that guided His choices. He that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please Him. I believe that much of the Lord's power is attributable to the fact that He never wavered in that determination. He had a clear, consistent direction. Whatever the Father desired, Jesus chose to do. John reports the following response to Jesus' statement that He did always those things that pleased the Father. As He spake these words, many believed on Him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on Him, If ye continue in My word, then are ye My disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So, being Jesus' obedient disciple, as He is the Father's obedient disciple, leads to truth and freedom. Then He added, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. To the secular world it seems a paradox that greater submission to God would yield greater freedom. They look at things through Korahor's lens, which is that obedience to God's laws and ordinances is bondage. So how do obedience and truth make us free? You can easily think of some practical ways in which truth gives us the ability to do things we otherwise could not do or to avoid disasters we otherwise might suffer. I was interested to read recently of a young English girl who learned in school about the characteristics of water along a shoreline 
that signal the approach of a tsunami. A few weeks later, on vacation with her family in Thailand, she observed those very phenomena and insistently warned her parents and the people around her. They escaped to higher ground just in time when the December 26, 2004 tsunami hit South Asia. More than a hundred people owe their lives to that girl's knowledge of certain truths of the natural world. But the Lord's statement that the truth will make us free has broader significance. Truth, he tells us, is a knowledge of things as they are, as they were, and as they are to come. Possession of this knowledge of things past, present, and future is a critical element of God's glory. The glory of God is intelligence, or in other words, light and truth. Does anyone doubt that as a consequence of possessing all light and truth, God possesses ultimate freedom to be and to do? Likewise, as our understanding of gospel doctrine and principles grows, our agency expands. First, we have more choices and can achieve more and receive greater blessings because we have more laws that we can obey. Think of a ladder. Each new law or commandment we learn is like one more step on the ladder that enables us to climb higher. And secondly, with added understanding, we can make more intelligent choices because we see the alternatives more clearly as well as their potential outcomes. As Professor Daniel H. Ludlow once expressed it, the extent of our agency can be measured in direct proportion to the number and kind of laws we know and keep. The Lord promises that if, in the exercise of our agency, we follow His example and do always those things that please Him and the Father, then we will come to know and understand all things. And if your eyes shall be single to my glory, your whole body shall be filled with light, and there shall be no darkness in you. And that body which is filled with light comprehendeth all things. These are magnificent promises to be filled with light and truth, to comprehend all things, to be glorified in truth and know all things, to come even to the Father. I have no doubt regarding the literal fulfillment of these promises in those who exercise their agency to choose obedience. But along with you, I recognize that they are not realized in a day. There is much of keeping commandments, much of practice, if you will, much of experience required before we will enjoy a fullness. We should, however, be encouraged by what John said of the Savior. And I, John, saw that he received not of the fullness at first, but received grace for grace. And he received not of the fullness at first, but continued from grace to grace until he received a fullness. So we might presume to follow in his footsteps and receive grace for grace and truth for truth until we also receive a fullness. A consistent effort will educate and refine our desires so that in time, just as with Jesus, our desires will become aligned with the Father's desires. But we should expect to be tested. The gift of agency is intended to give us experience. We taste the bitter that we may know to prize the good. And Jesus, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. We learn how to hold on the right way through adversity. 
Joseph Smith was told to expect some severe opposition despite making good choices. Said the Lord, Know thou, my son, that all these things shall give thee experience and shall be for thy good. We are in a mortal experience because we cannot become as God without that experience. We must prove to Him and to ourselves that we can consistently make the right choices and then stick to those choices, come what may. Some think they should be spared from any adversity if they keep God's commandments. But it is in the furnace of affliction that we are chosen. This is the battle we expected when we shouted for joy at the prospect of this time on earth. I believe the challenge of learning to make and hold on to correct choices in the face of opposition appealed to us when God presented His plan. And we should approach that challenge now without fear, knowing that we can do it and that He will sustain us. And certainly the alternative would not appeal to us. As Elder James E. Talmadge expressed it, but for the opportunity thus given, the spirits of God's offspring would have remained forever in a state of innocent childhood, sinless through no effort of their own, negatively saved, not from sin, but from the opportunity of meeting sin, incapable of winning the honors of victory because prevented from taking part in the conflict. The Lord's promise is not to spare us the conflict, but to preserve and console us in our afflictions and to consecrate them for our gain. Donald L. Hallstrom of the Seventy offers a present-day example in an article in this month's Ensign magazine where he recounts the experiences of Brother Toshio Kawada and his wife Miyuki. I quote, Like all of us, Toshio Kawada of the Obihiro Ward, Sapporo, Japan, stake has had to make crucial choices when faced with life's difficulties. He joined the Church in 1972, and he and his wife, Miyuki, were sealed in the Laie Temple in Hawaii in 1978. They have two sons. More than 20 years ago, when his family was still very young, Brother Kawada was working for his father as a dairy farmer. Tragically, one day, the large barn where they kept their milk cows and all their equipment burned down. Financially devastated, his father went to the Farmers' Union for a loan but was turned down. Subsequently, his father and older brother filed for bankruptcy. Although not legally responsible, Brother Kawada felt obligated to help pay back all the debts. As Brother Kawada was pondering a solution to his problem, he decided to plant carrots. He had grown potatoes, but he did not know how to grow carrots. He planted the seeds and prayed earnestly for his carrots to grow. All this time, Brother Kawada faithfully served in the Church, kept the Sabbath day holy, and paid his tithing. When he and his family dressed in their best clothes and went to their Sunday meetings, many neighbors scoffed at them. It was difficult to lose one day a week in their fields, especially at harvest time. It was not always easy for them to pay their tithing, but they offered it to the Lord obediently and cheerfully. Fall came, and Brother Kawada's carrots turned out to be unusually sweet and large, with an exceptionally rich color. He had an abundant harvest and went to the Farmers' Union for help, but they refused to sell his carrots through their distribution system. He fasted and prayed and felt inspired to try to find a produce distributor in Tokyo. 
something that is very hard to do without introductions or connections. Brother Kawada was blessed to find a large distributor in Tokyo. Since then, he's been very successful and has repaid all his father's debts. He currently has a large agricultural operation with many employees, and he's teaching young farmers how to effectively organize their businesses. Even in exceptionally trying circumstances, Brother Kawada chose to be true to the promises he made in his baptismal priesthood and temple covenants. Let me read you some of Brother Kawada's own words. Sometimes we worked until midnight on Saturday to keep from breaking the Sabbath. We went to church the next day, often without much sleep. Once we came home from church and a cow had gotten caught in the pasture fence and died. There were times when we had millions of yen worth of damage to our cut hay because it had lain in the rain on the Sabbath. We knew accidents didn't happen because it was Sunday. If you worry about that kind of thing, you'd never be able to keep the Sabbath. Accidents can happen any time. We planted carrots with great success. Finally, we were getting some kind of order in our lives. With carrots, it didn't matter if it rained or we took every Sunday off. We could make our own decision. We could serve more easily in any calling we were called to. In our business, we use a lot of part-time help. When uh, we're really busy, our employees suggest we work on Sundays. I tell them we just don't work on Sundays. When our workers know that, they work hard and rarely take days off. On Sundays, the younger workers spend the day with their children and the older workers visit with their grandchildren. I like that. Exercising agency in a setting that sometimes includes opposition and hardship is what makes life more than a simple multiple-choice test. God is interested in what you're becoming as a result of your choices. He's not satisfied if your exercise of moral agency is simply a robotic effort at keeping some rules. Your Savior wants you to become something, not just do some things. He's endeavoring to make you independently strong, more able to act for yourself than perhaps those of any prior generation. You must be able to be righteous even when He withdraws His Spirit, or as Brigham Young said, even in the dark. Using your agency to choose His will and not slackening even when the going gets hard will not make you God's puppet. It will make you like Him. God gave you agency, and Jesus showed you how to use it so that eventually you could learn what they know, do what they do, and be what they are. Remember that with His gift to you of moral agency, your Heavenly Father has graciously provided help in exercising that agency in a way that will yield precious, positive fruit in your life here and hereafter. Among other resources, you have the scriptures, parents, mentors that love you, the voice of prophets and apostles living among you, the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the covenants and ordinances of the priesthood and the temple, the gift of the Holy Ghost, and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Draw upon these resources constantly to guide your choices, to do always those things that please God. With President Hinckley, I express my confidence in you. I thank God for you. I thank God for the gift of moral agency. I thank Him for the gift of His Son, whose life and sacrifice animate that moral agency. I testify that Jesus Christ has redeemed us from the fall, that He lives, 
and that through Him we are free to choose liberty and eternal life. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is A Time for Choosing. We've just heard from D. Todd Christofferson. After the break, we'll return with Randall W. Booth for Seasons of Choice. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is A Time for Choosing. Next is Randall W. Booth, Associate Professor in the BYU School of Music at the time of this address, titled Seasons of Choice. It's a great pleasure to be with you today in this devotional. I'm prayerful that the time we spend together will motivate each of us to consider our lives and to evaluate where we are as we begin this new year. Have you noticed how the seasons of our lives move forward in a never-ending stream? I've been fascinated, sometimes surprised, but almost always invigorated by the changes I've experienced so far in the seasons of my life. Our personal choices are different as we pass through each new season. As a small child, you remember how many of your choices focused on play, on discovering the world and people around you, on simple decisions that made you smile. As you grew to the age of accountability and beyond, choices became more critical. The adversary knew this, of course, and worked harder than ever to influence your choices as you matured. Progressing through the seasons of childhood into the teenage years and young adulthood, did you notice that the Spirit has a tremendous capacity to guide you, to lead you to productive, righteous choices? And as we qualify ourselves to be led by the Spirit in every season of life, the choice we must make becomes more clear. Through the spring, summer, fall, and winters of our lives, one thing remains constant. We are free to choose. We fought for this right. It is ours. No matter how sheltered we may have been in our season of childhood or how much we may have leaned on loved ones and friends to keep us safe, there come countless times in life when we have to choose for ourselves, when we alone face the winds of adversity, when we struggle and stand up to temptation, times when we choose which road to travel and then accept the consequences of that choice. Trusted friends cannot always go with us. Parents and teachers will not always be watching. Others are not in a position to make our choices or live our lives. In every season of life, we face the opportunity to choose for ourselves. The Pearl of Great Price teaches that God gave us that power to choose. In Moses 4, verses 2 and 3, we read, But behold, my beloved Son said unto me, Father, thy will be done, and the glory be thine forever. Wherefore, because that Satan rebelled against me and sought to destroy the agency of man which I, the Lord God, had given him, and also that I should give unto him mine own power by the power of mine only begotten, I caused that he should be cast down. 
our Heavenly Father was not about to leave His precious sons and daughters on this earth without a means by which they could grow and learn, search and reach to find their way back to Him. That means by which God planned for our return is our free agency, our personal freedom to choose. Elder Charles W. Penrose explained this passage in The Pearl of Great Price. Here we read that power of choice, that gift, the ability to understand right from wrong, to understand light from darkness, was given to the spirit of man by the Lord. The power of volition is in the spirit man, and he brings it with him when he is born into the earthly sphere. And so we can do good or do evil as we elect. The scriptures are replete with further declarations of our power of choice. Father Lehi taught that men are free to choose liberty and eternal life through the great mediator of all men, or to choose captivity and death, according to the captivity and power of the devil. For he seeketh that all men might be miserable like unto himself. Lehi continued, And now, my sons, I would that ye should look to the great mediator, and hearken unto his great commandments, and be faithful unto his words, and choose eternal life, according to the will of his Holy Spirit, and not choose eternal death, according to the will of the flesh and the evil which is therein, which giveth the spirit of the devil power to captivate, to bring you down to hell, that he may reign over you in his own kingdom. I have spoken these few words unto you all, my sons, in the last days of my probation, and I have chosen the good part. Father Lehi understood the power of choice. Years ago, after a visit to the former Soviet Union with the young ambassadors, we had the pleasure of welcoming our interpreter from Leningrad, Jessica Petrova, as she came to visit us in Utah. Early in her visit, Jessica accompanied my wife, Susan, to the grocery store. As she entered the store, she immediately observed what appeared to be thousands of boxes of different kinds of breakfast cereals. She was so disturbed by what she saw that she asked my wife if she might wait for her in the car. As Susan finished shopping and joined Jessica in the car, Jessica said, It seems wicked that you have so many choices in your country, and I have no choice. I wait in lines for hours at my neighborhood market for whatever food is arriving that day. I have no choice. Of course, this was a time of difficult transition in that part of the world. But Jessica's comment caused my wife and me to look at our opportunity to choose with greater sensitivity and understanding. In today's world, we are literally bombarded with choices. In fact, in recent decades, the number of our choices in life have multiplied many times over. Local grocers stock not only hundreds of kinds of cereal, but every other imaginable food. At the touch of a remote, we can choose between hundreds of television stations on cable or satellite dish. This is a big change from the three stations that my mom and dad first enjoyed when black and white television became available in southern Idaho, where we were living at the time. Today, we may choose to shop in hundreds of stores in convenient shopping malls, which are filled to overflowing with merchandise from all over the world. With so many choices being required of us every day, we may become weary of choosing. This weariness can place us in a rather dangerous position. 
If we are weary of the mundane, everyday choices, we may also become weary of making life choices that are far more important than which brand to buy or which television program to watch. With marketing teams working around the clock to capture our attention, we may occasionally allow someone else to make choices for us. Sometimes our inability to make the right choice threatens the very core of our eternal lives. If we allow ourselves to sit back and go with the flow of society, we may be surprised to find ourselves somewhere we do not wish to be. We frequently encounter heroes in our lives. Their examples of righteousness, faith, service, and love wield a tremendous influence on our choices to become more like them. You know them. They are all around us. I am so grateful for the power of examples in my life. I have been blessed with so many whose faith and works have served to motivate me to make righteous choices. Today I'd like you to become acquainted with six men and women whose lives have influenced their part of the world in an incredible way because they have consistently exercised their power to choose the right. In Johannesburg, South Africa, the young ambassadors were privileged to meet Sister Julia Mavimbela. In 1955, when Julia was expecting her last child, her husband John was tragically killed. This period was a time of intense oppression for the blacks in that country. After her husband's death, Julia was left with a young family to raise. From the 1960s through the 80s, she worked as a school teacher in Soweto Township. She was always engaged in a worthwhile project, helping others to help themselves. She taught young people to garden. Julia told her students, quote, Let us dig the soil of bitterness, throw in a seed, show love and see what fruits it can give. Love will not come without forgiving others. Where there was a blood stain, a beautiful flower must grow. She got seeds and taught people to plant around their homes. She showed them how to strain dishwater through a gallon bucket filled with sand so they could use it to water their seeds. In 1981, two young men in white shirts and ties volunteered to help her with her work. When the missionaries taught her about the plan of salvation and spoke of life after death, Julia was deeply moved by the message that she could see her husband John again. The truth made sense. She joined the church, and the gospel became a great strength to her as she was to face more tragedy in her family. In the 1990s, her grandson happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time when gunfire rang through the township, and he was murdered. When Sister Mavimbela's soul cried out for the healing influence of the Spirit, she left behind the rocky paths of grief and bitterness and Julia Mavinbela chose to love. Raj Kumar studied at the University of Punjab in Chandigarh, India. Attending a performance of the Young Ambassadors at his university in 1982, he saw in the faces of our students something different. As he recognized the light of truth and felt the spirit, he wasted no time in approaching Tom Nelson, our Young Ambassador lighting technician, after the show asking to know more about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. A letter from Raj to Tom after his baptism illustrates his intense desire to share his newfound knowledge with others.
Dear Brother Tom, It was only because of you that I have found this great happiness and peace. I had been praying continuously for one year before my prayers had an answer through you. You will be glad to know that three young men here in the university are investigating, and one of them named Pamas Rai may very soon join the church. He is very serious, and I have given him sufficient lectures on the basic principles of the gospel. He has left tea, coffee, alcoholic drinks, and tobacco. The Spirit has commanded me to teach and contact another two young men. Dear brother, before I was baptized in this true church of the Savior, I was very reluctant to tell others that I was a Christian. But now, whosoever comes into contact with me, I openly declare before him that I am a follower of the living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and a member of his true church upon this earth. I visit hospitals every Friday and spend about three hours there. I pray for sick people admitted over their visit from one bed to another, introducing them to the church and the Lord, and distributing tracts. As you know, we do not have tracts and pamphlets in Hindi or Punjabi languages. I have translated the testimony of the Prophet Joseph Smith into the Punjabi language. I have applied for the mission. I expect to get the call within a couple of months. You will be glad to know that I have started going to Delhi every weekend to take part in church services. Our branch president, John R. Marshall, who is from England, has recommended me for an elder. I hope to be ordained to the high priesthood in a short time. Last week, I was given the chance to ordain a young boy to the office of a teacher. This was a wonderful experience for me. Brother Raj Kumar received his call and served a mission in Fresno, California. Since his mission, he and his wife, Sorela, have been blessed with a beautiful family. Brother Kumar has served as bishop on the Stake High Council and currently serves as ward mission leader in Toronto, Canada. When blessed to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, Raj Kumar chose to share. In 1991, Larissa Diva served as a hostess for two young ambassadors on their tour to Riga, Latvia. She recognized the spirit in the lives of these young men and wanted that spirit to be a part of her life. As she received a copy of the Book of Mormon in Russian from her guests, she proudly displayed it right next to the Bible in her home. In a letter to young ambassador Richard Higby, Larissa wrote in halting English, I don't know how to thank you for all that you have done for me. I am so very glad met you. I am happy found fine friends. It was unforgettably for me. I was visit the paradise with you. I have believed in God. You have agitated my excite. You have given back me sense in life. I wasn't know why and what for I lived, and you present me wings. Sister Diva was baptized on August 22, 1992. In a subsequent letter to Richard Higby, Larissa wrote, In August of last year I was baptized. I was the first member in the church here in Riga. Now there are approximately 30 members in this branch. I play the piano in our ward. Now I have God in my life, and he helps me deal with all of my struggles. 
I know that this church is true and know that our Heavenly Father loves us. As the young ambassadors returned to Latvia to present a fireside for the new Riga branch on May 30, 1993, we were pleased to learn that Sister Diva had been sustained as president of the Relief Society. Larissa Diva found the truth, was nourished by its power, and with great eagerness made the choice to follow the light. Nearly every morning at 6.30 a.m. you will find me walking the streets of Spanish Fork with another of my heroes, my dad, Wayne Booth. As we exercise, dad speaks of his study of the scriptures he experienced that morning before our walk. For 34 years, dad taught seminary and institute classes for the church educational system. Through those years, he chose to study the scriptures most mornings at 4 a.m. Since his retirement in 1990, his enthusiasm for scriptural feasts has not diminished. He sleeps in now until 5 a.m. and then gets up and dives into the scriptures every day. He talks excitedly as we walk along of his newest scripture discoveries. He enjoys the topical guide and will often approach his study by topic. He loves to encourage us to visualize the scriptural accounts in our minds or to place ourselves in the time and place of the scriptures to explore what it might have felt like to be there. Dad chooses to ponder and pray about those passages he reads. He recently commented, Son, my scripture study has a fresh new focus. I am reading the scriptures this time through to clearly ascertain whether I am living the gospel as correctly as I should at this stage of my life. I want to be prepared. The scriptures are helping me to prepare. At 4 a.m., many of us could think of other ways to spend our time. But through all of the years of raising a family of seven children, 40 grandchildren, and nine great-grandchildren with my beautiful mother, Dad has chosen to consistently learn from the Word of God. Choosing to run for mayor of Spanish Fork, Utah, was not a decision that most 76-year-old women would make. But for Marie Huff, the choice was simple. She had great desires to work hard for the betterment of her community. While serving as mayor, Marie was president of the Utah County League of Mayors and was recognized in 1995 by Governor Levitt as the outstanding mayor in the state of Utah. After eight years in office, Marie finished her service as mayor at age 83. Marie is still a member of the Spanish Fork Arts Council, and at 88 years of age, has devoted herself to making beautiful bookmarks for school and city libraries in the county. In the past five years, she has made 3,000 of them to give to school children as a means of encouraging them not only to read, but to take good care of their library books. While serving as a Relief Society president for 14 years, Sister Huff learned that folks need to be recognized. In a recent telephone conversation, she said, there's a lot of lonely people in the world I continue to call young and old alike on the phone to congratulate them. And I try to send notes every day to express appreciation for all the good things they are doing for our growing community of Spanish Fork. Every day, Marie Huff chooses to serve. In the Book of Mormon, we read of another hero who was a strong and mighty man. He was a man of a perfect understanding. 
His name was Moroni. In Alma 48, we learn that he was a man who was firm in the faith of Christ, and that if all men had been and were and ever would be like unto Moroni, behold, the very powers of hell would have been shaken forever. Yea, the devil would never have power over the hearts of the children of men. What if we were to choose to grow up and be like Moroni, or to love like Sister Julia Mavimbela? How would the world be different if we chose to share as did Raj Kumar in India, or to follow the light as Sister Larissa Diva? Wouldn't this world be a remarkable, wonderful place to live if all of us here today were to choose to serve others well into our 80s like Marie Huff, or if we chose to learn from the scriptures like my dad? Will we, like our heroes, be anxiously engaged in choosing to help accomplish the great mission of bringing to pass the immortality and eternal life of man? Will we choose to follow the Spirit in our own lives? And then will we choose to extend our love to our families, our associates, our neighbors, illuminating their paths in our own little corner of the world? What an influence we can collectively have on this world as we choose the right. Brothers and sisters, it's the bottom of the ninth inning. The score is tied. There are two outs. The bases are loaded, and you are up to bat. That pretty much sums up the situation we find ourselves in today as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The world is being prepared to receive the Savior, and we are all up to bat. So many of our Father's children are counting on us to bring them into home plate. This is our time to play the game of life. As you step up to the plate in this game of choice, you must choose to serve, to love, to learn, to follow the light, to share. The choice is not complex. We simply choose the Lord, or we choose the opposition, and we all know who leads that opposing team. We might well ask ourselves with the poet Hannah Last Cornaby, who's on the Lord's side? Who? Now is the time to show. We ask it fearlessly. Who's on the Lord's side? Who? We wage no common war. Cope with no common foe. The enemy's awake. Who's on the Lord's side? Who? If at times in our weariness we catch ourselves saying, I just don't care anymore. I don't want to choose. I'll go along with whatever you want to do. I'll embrace whichever marketing approach is more convincing. I am simply too tired to think this through and choose. In that critical moment, we need to wake up, arouse our faculties, and join with the prophet Joshua who declared, Choose you this day whom ye will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We might have to expand Joshua's invitation to say, Choose you this minute whom you will serve. Choose you this day, this week whom you will serve. Choose hundreds of times every hour to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We must, of course, enlist the good counsel and influence of the Spirit that we may be directed to choose those choices that will help us become the woman or man God has planned for us to become. It is possible to make every decision in our lives correctly 
if we can learn to follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit. What we choose today will influence eternity. Every choice brings us either a step closer to or further from our eternal destiny. We are not victims of circumstance. We have total control. We are the ones who decide how we will react to the environment we find ourselves in. President Spencer W. Kimball taught that some people feel that decisions are really out of our hands, that we merely respond to circumstances without choice, like a rudderless ship that drifts at the mercy of the wind and waves. He continues, And I agree that there can come a time when we no longer have control over our destinies. But I believe that this is only after the accumulation of our own past decisions has left us helpless. In the beginning, each of us is a bundle of potential that can be developed and shaped by what we choose to do. In youth, there is still great malleability. We can choose what we will become. As the years go by, we find our past choices have narrowed the alternative still open to us, and we have less and less control over our future. We cannot do everything at once. But every act, every choice opens the gate and leads us down a specific pathway. With every choice thereafter, we progress further down that path. Sometimes we must turn around, take some time out, get back in touch with our eternal map, and hang on as the Savior of mankind draws us back closer to our heavenly home. There are millions who have walked this path before us. When we see a caution sign or a guardrail, we need to recognize that someone, wiser from their own experience, generously thought to provide some help, some protection for those who would follow. Sometimes feeling so strong and independent, we might close our hearts to those closest to us who could help the most in our journey over life's treacherous paths. Don't close up. Open your hearts to the wisdom of life's precious companions. Can you imagine how excited we all were in the pre-existence as we anticipated the blessing of exercising our free agency while experiencing life together? How have those heroes in our lives become so valiant in choosing to love, to share, to follow the light, to learn, and to serve? We may feel somewhat overwhelmed with so many good choices, I am convinced that there is really only one choice that we must make. That choice is Jesus Christ. When we choose Him, everything else will naturally follow. In D&C, section 93, verse 1, the Lord Himself outlined His four recommended choices for every season, every day of our lives. Verily, thus saith the Lord, it shall come to pass that every soul who forsaketh his sins and cometh unto me and calleth on my name and obeyeth my voice and keepeth my commandments shall see my face and know that I am. Four simple righteous choices every day. How about it? Are we ready to choose to commit to the Lord's plan? Are we ready to choose to forsake our sins and come unto Christ? Will we choose to call on His name? Will our choice be to obey His voice? 
Are we prepared to choose to keep his commandments? The great blessings associated with keeping his commandments are explained in this same section of the DNC. In verse 28, we are promised that he that keepeth his commandments, speaking of Jesus Christ, receiveth truth and light until he is glorified in truth and knoweth all things. We can know all things. That's got to be helpful when we are trying to choose wisely. Every season of life is a season of choice. This is not a time for sitting on the sidelines. We must choose to play ball every day, every hour, every season, relying on the merits of our Savior to assist us in this journey of choice. May we choose to be firm and steadfast in our faith in Christ so that when the time for choosing immortality is past, our knees will have already bowed and our tongues will have already confessed. And most importantly, our lives will have been filled with choices which testify of our knowledge that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. May we choose to follow him in every season, is my prayer. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was a time for choosing with thoughts from D. Todd Christofferson and Randall W. Booth. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.